Welcome to the final draft Great Conversations podcast. Today's Great Conversation is part two of my chat with Jennifer Down. Now, if you've missed part one, I would go back and start there. There's some really interesting contextual information about Jennifer's new book, Bodies of Light, and an absolutely must-have intro featuring Jennifer's dog, Nelson, and my cat, Rocket, who both had different ideas about being on microphone. Now, the Final Draft Great Conversations podcast is all about books, writing, and literary culture. I'm Andrew Popel, and every week I broadcast Final Draft from the studios of 2SER in Sydney. Final Draft is dedicated to exploring Australian writing, from debut authors to household names. Every week, we look into the issues that drive our storytelling and help you discover more from the books you love. These are the stories that make us who we are. 2SER broadcasts from the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and I'm recording on the lands of the Darug and Gunungurra people. I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of those lands, pay my respects to their ongoing connection to their lands, and acknowledge that this is unceded land, that there has never been a treaty in Australia. Jennifer Down is the award-winning author of Our Magic Hour and Pulse Points. She's been a Sydney Morning Herald Young Writer of the Year, and her new novel, Bodies of Light, promises to keep up that run of just award-winning work. Holly has a simple but a happy life. It's uncomplicated for a reason, and Holly wants it to stay that way. But when a message out of the blue drags Holly into her past, she's shaken. She felt she'd escaped, buried the ghosts, and become a new person. No one should know about her past. No one should know who Maggie is. But now she's faced with the woman that she used to be. And trauma is rarely far from the surface as we are thrown into Maggie's life to revisit all the events that have brought her to where she is today and once again have caused her to disappear. In part two, my conversation with Jennifer, we we delve deep into how much we ever really know about people and what might make someone disappear. Jennifer also fabulously indulges some wild tangents on her work, her writing, her research and how we look at genre and where her book fits in. There is also another unforgettable farewell cameo from Jennifer's Tog Nelson and my cats. So join me as we discover Jennifer Downs' Bodies of Light. Let's come back to Maggie. There was, there was this point in my reading where I reflected, I reflected on actually how little we tend to know about the people in our lives, even the people closest to us. I mean, it's, That'll happen when you, you know, learn what ice cream someone was eating on a particular day. Or, <laughs> and, and Maggie tries so hard to contain and shield those around her from her past. And for me, as, as the reader, it, it helped me to understand and contextualise her grief and some of those perspectives. Um, it also struck me, and we're, we're talking about a particular part of the novel that um, is going to you're going to have to remain a mystery until for people who are going to read it. But it's Maggie also realizes at a point that her past could be weaponized against her, and I wondered how how do we deal with this much information? Like, did did you get a sense you you wished you could know people the way that you've brought Maggie to life, or do you think if we knew everyone in so much detail, it would just be too much? Yeah, I think we're not meant to know each other that well. Mm. Not even, and, and I mean, maybe maybe I'm <laughs> revealing too much of myself here, but I think like even even the people that we are closest to, you know, like our, our partners or children and parents, I think I think it's actually, you know, there's there's an element of kind of self preservation or or something. I think I think we do need some sort of, uh, you know, maybe semi permeable, but these kind of boundaries. 
Um, and I'm not talking about like big, you know, damaging secrets, but I think there should be some parts of us that um, we are allowed to kind of have as, uh, I don't know, sacred feels like a very freighted word, but mm. um, I, I think, I, you know, it's a lot to reveal, yeah. you know, as you're talking about like the, the, the kind of extent to which, um, you know, even one, even one instance of, of trauma, much less, mm. you know, repeated traumas, um, that's, that, that's something that like maybe, maybe a psychologist can hear about or, you know what I mean? But I think it's, mm. um, I think it's really important to, to kind of, of course, to be able to share things with loved ones and, and, you know, to, to know what's going on with them and to know what has informed them and, and shaped them as people. But I also think we shouldn't be scared of kind of, you know, having, being able to keep some things to ourselves and, and, and being aware of kind of privacy as, as, as a means of preservation too. The, the thing that set that, that question in motion, I, when I was reading the thing that kind of put that idea in my head was this, this incredibly awful and, and difficult time for Maggie where she is worried that her past could be weaponized against her. I realized that because of the way you had chosen to tell her story, the, the, the structural decision you'd made to begin, you know, essentially at, at her very early life and tell the story through, it meant that I, I was never worried. I, I, you know, the questions that are going to be asked about Maggie, I wasn't asking. I thought I, I understand why she is thinking about things the way she is and because I've, I've travelled this road with her. But, of course, I mean, if we think about people in our lives, we don't, we haven't met most of them as children and we haven't seen their growth and their development. And it just, it just gave me this incredible perspective that we need, we need to know that that information is there, even if we're not privy to it, because yes. Yes. No, nobody arrived, even though it seems like people are arrived in our, all right, I have to acknowledge there's a cat hitting the microphone <laughs> right now. I'm going to try, I'm going to try and start that again. Even <laughs> Even though it may seem like people arrive in our lives out of the blue, you know, they've people have had these incredibly complex narratives before they got to us. I think that's I think that's the the key thing is that um, it comes down to like a very uh, you know there's like that cliche idea about you know not not just do unto others but always be gentle to other people because you don't know what's going on with them right and that maybe sounds like a kind of uh i don't know preachy thing to say but i i, I do believe that's true like we we are kind of unknowables um you know one from another and so i think i don't know from a purely personal perspective i think it's really important to kind of move about the world with um a sense of like generosity and warmth and um, I don't mean that as in like, you know, seeing everything through rose tinted glasses mm. and I, I, you know, I don't necessarily give people the benefit of the doubt when I should. Um, and I can, I can be as judgmental as the next person, but I just mean, you know, trying to, um, yeah, trying to, to, be, to bear that in mind, just, yep. you know, you're, you're never just, uh, what, what you see in front of you is, is, you know, is but a, a sliver. It's an eyelash of, of the whole person and everything they've mm. kind of, uh, endured or or whatever to to get to where they are. Yeah, and it is as as you say. It's so it's such tough ground to navigate because you don't ever want to fall into that sort of saccharine. No, 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 no. Like it's it's like yeah. yeah, but sometimes it is. It's good to be like oh, fantastic. It's now I know that there are reasons that you are so awful, but you are still <laughs> awful. Please stop being awful. Yeah, I, and you know it doesn't it doesn't excuse 
behavior necessarily. I just think it's, um, I just think that's a good, I don't know. That's, that's how I, I try to kind of operate as a, as a person and also as a writer is to not make allowances, but to understand that, you know, there's, there's context and there's history to everything, you know? Um, there's so there's there, like as I said, I began by saying I I want to redo this interview in a year or two years when there's I've got new perspective and new ways of thinking about bodies of light and there are so many different things we could talk about. I'm I'm going to encourage people to discover it for all the reasons that we haven't been able to talk about because of of details that we want to keep secret, um or or avoid spoiling. But it's such a novel. There is so much to it, and I thought I'm. Perhaps to give the last word to an expert, and I hope you'll forgive me for this, but you you have strong Twitter game, and I absolutely <laughs> loved um, your Nan's praise of Bodies of Light that you shared, but also her burning question, how do you switch off from the personalities? Um, it was funny because I, I, um, I sent that screenshot to my sister and my younger sister, Lily was like, we, I don't know. We always like have this, we have this joke. I think, I think it came from, I don't even remember. I think we've stolen it from like a really old vine or TikTok, but we always have this joke as two people who like, um, have questionable brain chemistry when, when someone like, like gives us a backhanded compliment or something like that, like, how do you get so much done in a day or whatever? And she and I are always like, it's mental illness, love in it. And that is exactly how I felt about my nan's text message. She was like, how do you switch off? And I was like, babe, you don't like, you just, you just suffer through it for four. No, that's, I mean, I'm being glib, but, um, it definitely was like, um, it was not an easy novel to write and, um, it's not, I don't know. I, I struggle to talk about like writing character or voice, right. Because, uh, I like to think I'm quite a practical and like pragmatic person, but I, I really can't describe the way that I write character because it, it does kind of feel like a sort of telepathy mm. and I can't articulate any of this without it sounding like this huge creative wank, which I don't believe in, you know, I, I, I think it's a job of work. I just can't explain how I do it. And so without saying, you know, without kind of seeming woo-woo about it, um, sometimes these characters just kind of like announce themselves and um, and then you get to try them on for size and, and by the time you've written as them for four years or five years, you feel like you know them as intimately as any anybody else in your life. Um, but that doesn't yet, of course, that makes it really difficult to kind of switch off um, so I don't, I don't know what the answer is. I hope that I will get better at it over time. I hope that, you know, you kind of hope that with every book, like you, you might learn something, but I also feel like uh, I also feel, and I always say this to students that like every book you write, it, I personally, I mean, I'm sure maybe like Christos Cholkis or I, I like, I don't know, Alexis Wright feel differently, but I always feel like every book I write is me writing something for the very first time because it is right but I, it doesn't get easier. It's like you're always learning how to shape something completely new, a new project. And yeah, I, I, I am hopeful that maybe I learned a few things about like how to switch off or how to um, carve out some time, you know, for like soft brain time when you're writing about something that's intensely traumatic. Um, but I guess I will find out when... <laughs> I start writing whatever comes next. That sounds that sounds not very hopeful, does it? No, look, I I mean, I appreciate you um, even t- just taking the time for that question. And I think 
Some of the things you say, are you, you worried of sounding too woo-woo? But I think, you know, you're writing for four or five years. You know, there are people who are devouring your novels in four to five days and are probably still yeah. walking <clears throat> away with that with that sense of inhabiting a space and maybe carrying a little bit of it with them. I mean, that is like the questions that I've I've found today have come from the what what body of light has done for me um and so that's something i'm going to carry with me i you're right i don't i don't want to know that much probably about anyone maybe not even about myself but you've made me aware that that much knowledge actually exists in the world and that i have to walk into all my interactions just igno- just accepting that that's there just accepting that that everyone has that in their life and you know that's that's kind of cool. Like, not every book does that, but yeah, that's an incredibly that's like, important. Feel, like oddly emotional. I like, <laughs> that's like the nicest thing you could hope to um to to I don't know. The story feels very weighty, but like that's the nicest thing I could I could hope to hear. I think from somebody who's read one of my books. Yeah. Like, even the idea that somebody takes something you've read, you know, with them in into the next couple of days is incredible. Because I mean, how many books do you read? Well, like it can be. A, I've read many very good books. Sorry, I feel like I just said that in completely random order of words. I've read many <laughs> great books, um, and and they don't necessarily, you know, stick with you, even even if the writing is beautiful or, or whatever else. And so I think, yeah, that's a that's a, a like the the best thing I could hope to accomplish with a book. I um I have one thought that doesn't quite fit, so I'm going to do us a little bit of a an outro. And then, yeah. I'm, then I'm just going to pop a random thought in. It is my, it has been just such an enormous pleasure to be speaking with Jennifer Down. Jennifer's new novel is Bodies of Light. It is incredible for all the things we've said and all the things we haven't yet been able to say um, that you need to go out and discover. Buy this book, read this book. Thank you so much, Jennifer. Thanks for coming yeah. on the show. Thank you for having me. Um. Yeah, I, I couldn't find a way to fit and I, it popped into my head again at the end. The the really strange role that social media played in the mm. narrative. And and one of my thoughts, like when I was asking you about all the historical moments and details, one thing that really struck me was, was again, maybe more a structural thing. Like how do you navigate moving from different media environments into the sort of the social media age and... And that kind of tied in when we were talking about knowing so much about a person and, and how Maggie essentially gets to about age 50 without having any record of her life. And it was um, Nick Lowe. It was a book of short stories. I think it was called Arms Race he wrote. Yeah, it's a great book. Okay, yeah, yeah. Do you remember the the story about the man who goes on a date and finds out later that the the date had – it was like a date with an old, an old sort of flame or an old friend, but oh, yeah. this person had – had died and had been completely reconstructed from their social media and been sold to him. And I think the, I think the story ends with the, the man's daughter kind of cautioning him said, you've, you've been, you've opted in to some incredibly expensive like memory package that's been, you know, an algorithm has in, entirely ripped off your social media presence. And it was just, yeah, it was really strange. Like it, that story popped in as the polar opposite of what you were just describing the way we now have this, seemingly intractable trail of detail can mm. this has been happening the entire interview 
rocket. <laughs> she does. She needs a solo a solo spot. She just she just wants to, but she has to like press. So she's right on the edge of the desk. She will fall off <laughs> if I so much as move. Um, but yeah, like just uh, again that that and that strange role that social media like this story could only have begun really sort of at the time it begins because that's how Tony slash it's Tony slash Ian, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Finds her is is through the way that we now have access to so much information. Yeah, I mean, it's it's so interesting to me how many of these, um, like, as I said, I kind of had this morbid preoccupation with uh, um, what are known as, like, cases where there are unidentified decedents. So, that, you know, obviously people who have died who don't, whose identity is unknown. And uh, a lot of them have kind of been solved in, in the last five to ten years in the wake of both social media and then also... Um, uh, genealogy databases. Mm. Um, so I think, you know, like the, um, the case of, I, I think I, I actually, I spoke about this at Sydney Writers Festival, but, um, Laurie Erica Ruff, which I was obsessed with for ages. Um, she was an unidentified, um, decedent and she, her identity wasn't known for years. And then, uh, very long story short, a, a distant relative submitted their DNA to a genealogy database and they were able to kind of work out who she was. Um, you know, she died in Texas. She'd lived in kind of the southwestern United States but had grown up and had lived in Pennsylvania until she was 18 years old. And so that that area is really interesting, like this idea that, um, that the internet is you know, that, that kind of time space compression is, is making it easier for us to solve some of these kinds of mysteries. And that it also makes me sad because if, if somebody doesn't want to be found, then often there are really good reasons for that. Mm-hmm. Um, if somebody has gone out of their way to, to, you know, take themselves off and, and uh, pass away somewhere where they are not easily identifiable. And it's like this, you know, millions of, str- not millions, mm-hmm. but hundreds of strangers, thousands of strangers on the internet listening to a podcast about it or kind of trawling through internet archives. Um, uh, you can look at it in the sense of like, y- you may very well be giving a sense of closure and, and kind of peace and some answers to their family or, or relatives. But I mean, from a, an ethical perspective, it's interesting to me because it's like, yeah. aren't you also going against their express wishes, you know, if they've, um, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. It, br- it brings up all these questions though about like, what, what do we, I mean, if we owe anyone or yeah, anything, yeah. Like, there's that incredible, I know it's the beginning of a, a, a chapter, a nominal chapter, is it the beginning of the third section? Hey, what, <laughs> did I scratch wrong or was I not scratching enough? <laughs> Um, where where Maggie is sort of delineating what to do if yeah. you are going to disappear. And she sort of talks about, you know, you may want to connect and they may want you to connect with them, but you can't think about that. And it's like she's kind of describing a, a, a social contracty-esque type situation and saying, but you need to completely ignore this. And it, well, it, I mean, yeah. the, the thing is um, it, it's like it's kind of neither here nor there, but um, – something that I found fascinating when I was, I was researching all of these, um, you know, kind of death fraud or or people who fake their own deaths. Um, we, we believe that men predominantly do it, but only because we don't have record that, that women do it. So that could equally suggest that, suggest that women are better at it perhaps. Oh, that would not surprise me. (laughs) They're not being found. Right. And so there's this interesting idea of, 
Um, also, there are like the, the motivations are really different. So typically women who do uh, attempt to disappear or fake their own deaths, um, they're often doing it um, to escape uh, an unsafe house or um, because they think they might be able to give their children a better life or whatever. It's, it's typically linked to something like family violence situations. Um, whereas men who uh, intentionally disappear overwhelmingly it's for financial reasons or kind of uh, adjunct financial reasons. So for instance, they've lost their job. They don't want their partner or friends to know because of the shame. Mm. And so they decide to, to start a new life or they've like, they're involved in an embezzlement scheme. Like this, this sounds like movie stuff, but it's actually like, it's, it's among the leading causes um, certainly in the United States and, and the UK why uh, blokes disappear. Right. So there's like, there are these mm. like gendered aspects to it that are really fascinating to me. And then when you look at that, um, it's, it's also fascinating to me because I think certainly in popular culture and like, I don't know, Western society, women often seem to uphold a lot of the roles in terms of like that, that social contract that you mentioned mm. earlier is this idea and it's, it's a cliche. It's not true in every circumstance, whatever, but there's often this idea that, you know, the women are, are the ones bringing people together for celebrations, right? Mm. They're organizing the birthday parties and the Christmases and they're responsible for, you know, buying the present for your, whatever. Um, whereas um, typically, like, as I said, it, it like the stats suggest that blokes attempt to disappear more often, but they're also found more often. Mm. And that's usually because they get in touch with someone else. They call up their wife or a kid and it could be after 12 months, but it seems like there's a, it, it's really hard to, to kind of cut off all ties with loved ones as you would expect. Right. Like mm. it's, it, it's kind of a fantasy that I'm sure we've all had like this idea of just walking out of your life, but what that means to you to kind of, you know, it's like that John Don, no man is an Island thing. Like it's really, Oh my God. I was that, that popped into my head right at the beginning of our conversation. Yeah. yeah like, I mean, it's another cliche, but it's true. It's nobody is meant to kind of, exist and and you know untether themselves totally from everything that they mm. know and love and so it's a really difficult proposition to ask somebody which is why i'm so fascinated mm. by people who've done it successfully like that's it it's, yeah i mean i'm just like the more you talk about it the more i'm just like so mm. it's it, for men it is absolutely a, a combination of lack of intelligence and arrogance that you know they they get caught and it just it just kind of tickles me that you know after twelve months someone is somehow getting shows. It's like, honey, um, you know those? No, no, no. Like I know, I know. Twelve months. You know those things you used to buy for me? Where did you get them? I can't find them anywhere. Where am I? I can't tell you that. <laughs> I mean, of course, there are exceptions to this, mm. but it's um, like statistically, that's that's overwhelmingly mm. what it is. There was a case. I, I don't remember the name. I'm sorry, but there was a a case in um, the UK. Uh, it's it's Googleable. It's, it's re- relatively well known. Mm. But a bloke, um, I think he was like retirement age. He faked his own death by rowing out in like a canoe or a kayak. And his wife was in on it. She knew what was happening. Mm. She reported him to the police. You know, he's drowned. His raft is overturned. His canoe is overturned. Whatever. Um, but told that they had adult children and told the children that he died. And the whole time, like for two years, I think he was living um, on the property or next door, like in a shed or I can't remember the specifics of it, but he was effectively living on the same property as the wife Mm. and they were still existing as husband and wife. 
Um, but she had received this insurance payout, whatever. It was, I can't remember the specifics of that either because I'm not terribly interested in financially motivated crimes. Um, and so, yeah, I, this is this case I'm not particularly across, but it's kind of, it's fascinating. And I mean, the kids, he, he was eventually jailed and, and the kids found out, but they, they kept it up for quite a while, but mm. you can't, nobody can keep it up forever. You know, at some point, um, the, the ruse kind of has, has to fall as so, long as you have told at least one other person. Mm. So I won't, I'm not going to keep you forever, but I mean, just you've partially, I think, answered a question that popped into my head about genre because if you, if you sort of talk about this idea of, of faking death or um, assuming identity, I think a lot of people, like if you just, uh, if you vox popped a hundred people in the street, I think genres that would pop up would include things like, you know, spy thrillers and, yeah. and action. But then also, you, you, in terms of um, uh, in terms of gender, we would be thinking about a male protagonist. And I wonder, are we, are, are people, men, telling these sort of action adventure spy thrillers? Are they are they basically just r- romancing the idea that? men are doing this for financial crime reasons and it's kind of like this makes it seem i don't i just i i love i love the way bodies of light inevitably has to touch into that mystery but it doesn't have to dive full full force into that sort of genre i guess yeah i guess like i i'm as, as we can as we can all say i'm not like a a crime or a thriller writer. This is probably as, as close as I can come to as get, you know, like, as, as close as I can get and still feel comfortable. I would I, read the hell out um, of that though. Just saying, if you wanted to. <laughs> no, it's, it, which is not to say I don't enjoy the genre or like, I'm not poo-pooing it. I really enjoy it as a reader. I just, I think uh, structure in, in thrillers or like crime fiction is something that I really admire, but don't, don't personally have the, the chops for It's like very impressive to me. And I always, mm. Like if I'm stuck with structure, I often find myself returning to like procedural podcasts or dramas mm. because there's something about um, the kind of architecture of those that that always reminds me how stories work, I guess. But mm. yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, I guess like I'm at, at a very basic level, I'm I'm always going to be more interested in like the psychology mm. of why things happen than you know, the kind of specifics of the, the, the action. And I, I guess, like I said, at, at the top, I'm, I'm interested. I started out interested in the uh, practical aspects of what it takes to disappear. And, you know, I, I am, I, I was, but the more I sat with it, the more I was like, uh, I, the more I became obsessed with um, the, the kind of emotional and psychic toll that that, that would have on a person and I guess that explains where it, where it's landed in terms of genres. There's definitely like a shade of that um, yeah. crime thriller, psychological drama, whatever. Um, but then it's 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 a pretty look. It would be a very slow moving thriller. Like I think if if a typical thriller reader picked this up from the library, they would they would probably be be disappointed by mm. by the pace and the and the detail. So I think yeah, that's that's the answer is that it has to fit somewhere between where I usually sit, which is you know that bog standard fiction, literary fiction, whatever you want to call it. And, mm. um, it, you know, it's, it's very character-based, but it's also the first book I've read. I've read, first book I've read the first book I've written when this much happens. It, for me, mm. it feels like a very plot-driven book. Yeah. it's Probably it's, for most people it wouldn't be. And especially the psychological aspect, it's it's just it's incredible. I mean, I, yeah, as a, as a thought exercise, I was when you mentioned, like, as a thriller, I was just like, how would it work? I mean, for starters – 
Maggie probably wouldn't be the protagonist. It would be the Tony Ian character. Yeah. He would he would be our detective, and you would probably have to give him a backstory that explained why he was doing this. And Maggie's story would probably happen in the begin in the middle of the book, where we learn about what she's done that's made her, or supposedly what she's done. And and the like thrillers claim to be about that sort of psychological. You know, you get into the mind of it would be a much weaker novel for how we actually come to understand Maggie's psychology. Well, I think thrillers and like procedural dramas generally, it's like there's a puzzle to be solved or a mystery to be solved. Right. And Mm. the, or at least, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit out of my depth here because I, I mean, I I read the genre, but I'm, I'm not like an aficionado by any means. Um, But I think like if in the scenario that you're talking about, you're quite right. I think Tony would have to be like the, whatever the hard boiled detective and mm. the point would be finding Maggie. Right. Mm. But for me, for this, for the story that I ended up writing, the point was that somebody had found her mm. and I don't know, maybe that sounds like the same thing, but it's quite different for me. Like the, the kind of um, the solace for Maggie is that, is that, you know, at the end of the book, she knows there's somebody out there who mm. knows she exists. Right. It's, it's like proof of life for her. Yep. And um which, which I think is very different to, to somebody being chased down mm. and identified, you know, because they've reportedly done this or that or they're believed to have, have, have committed this whatever. Mm. Yeah, and it's just, I mean, this, this stuff is incredible. Thank you for talking to me about it too because. Oh, pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, great question. I, like, think, I, think, um, I think, you know. Most readers do not have the right to have their silly questions indulged, but it just no, no, these, these are like yeah, great, great questions, great chat. The way, just yeah, the the way that we could potentially organise what you have written into a thriller, and and all I can think is it would be a much weaker book in its its motivations, in what we learn about Maggie's psychology, and ultimately, like maybe how we are able to take something else away from. Sorry, can you hear this? Her no. her sister is now walking around the house. Just crying? Oh no! I was going to say, can you hear? Because Nelson is snoring like quite uh, loudly, and I was—he's like too far away that I, I can't touch him. But yeah, no, yeah, no. Her sister. I think sometimes it's like she doesn't know to look into a door and see we're here. <laughs> but it might also just be that she's decided she deserves food. And she does, you know. Mm. It's been a long day. The problem is, any time I walk into the kitchen. She's like, oh, it must be dinner time because when you're in the kitchen, you feed me. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. I know that. I know that problem very well. <laughs> uh, Jennifer, thank you. Look, I this has been incredible. Thank you for oh, all of no all of the questions that I craftingly uh, created for your incredible novel, and thank you for the ones answering the ones that just came off the top of my head. No, they were. That was like, yeah, great questions. Thank you. It was like fun to. Um, I feel like I was doing a lot of pausing because I. Mm was like actually thinking and not just delivering learned responses. So thank you very much. That's it for this great conversation with Jennifer Down. Jennifer's new novel is Bodies of Light. It is out now from text publishing. Great Conversations is recorded on the lands of the Darug and the Gundungurra people. The show is produced and presented by Andrew Popel. Stay in touch. You can find Final Draft on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You can email us just finaldraft at 2SER.com. Love to hear from you. What are you reading? What are you looking forward to this summer? Subscribe in your podcast app. I'm going to endeavour. I know a lot of podcasts stop over the summer period. I'm going to endeavour to keep landing great book content in your ears every week. I am Andrew Popel. I will be back next week with more great conversations from Final Draft. And as always, have a
happy reading. Bye for now.